We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Hornets fans, thanks for joining us for another episode. On today's show, we'll talk about Mitch Kupchak's comments and some summer league reactions. I know it's summer league, but uh, we do have some evaluations on players. Uh, I am Richie, and joining me today is Brian. Just a reminder, we are the go-to Charlotte Hornets podcast for deep analysis and a proud member of the Blue Wire Network. Just search BuzzBeat and or Blue Wire on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. And also, hit the subscribe button so you get those episodes as soon as they come out. First off, let's check in with BG. Brian, how's everything going? You've been watching some Summer League basketball. Very important basketball going on right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. These are some uh, live-or-die games, you know, uh, in out, out in Vegas in Summer League. But, you know, I've checked in on a fair amount. I've watched all of the first two Hornets Summer League games, and I've caught caught a few others. It's been an eventful Summer League, to say the least, because you did have the Earthquake. The earthquake during the uh, the New Orleans game the other night, and uh, but yeah, I was able. Again, I even caught Atlanta versus Minnesota yesterday, so I saw some DeAndre Hunter. Uh, he did not play all that great. I've seen a little bit of RJ Barrett. He's been rather bad now across two games, and uh, he might be on pace for a, a tough rookie season with the Knicks. But I've seen a, just keeping up with the ACC guys like Kobe White with the Bulls. And I, of course, had to check in on my guy, Brandon Clark, last night, playing, making his summer league debut for the Grizzlies as uh, Memphis took on the Clippers. And it was pretty cool because I got to see Kevin Gelly and Terrence Mann from Florida State. Uh, and, and Mann played really well last night. And Kevin Gelly had some nice moments, too. But Brandon Clark, um, you know, like I said, you know, uh, a guy that I was really interested in the Hornets taking. He had quite the performance last night. Um, but yeah, no, I'm enjoying summer league and obviously, uh, you know, the, the Kawhi Leonard fallout as that sort of makes waves all across the league too. And we're recording this on a Monday night. So this is actually prior to the game against the China national team. So the Hornets have played two games up to this point. By the time you're listening to this, they would have played another game. So when we talk about the summer league evaluations towards the end of this episode, we're just basing it off the two games. And again, it's just two summer league games. But first, let's get into some comments that have been making waves across Hornets Twitter, across really national media as well, about I don't know, one or two days ago, Mitch Kupchak, the Hornets, they put out a string of tweets on their Twitter account 
it was when Cupcheck had a conference call for media members, and you know these these tweets and these quotes were talking about you know welcoming Terry Rozier to the team, talking about the direction of the team, talking about the luxury tax. A lot of info kind of thrown at us. It was something that I've never really seen from the Hornets' Twitter before with all these quotes coming from Mitch Kupchak. Um, some of them were just, you know, run-of-the-mill quotes, but others stuck out to a lot of Hornets fans, a lot of people across the national media. And just reading into some of these quotes, it's hard to get a read, uh, a lot of the context for them. Uh, the first one I want to read to you, uh, and I just kind of want your gut reaction Mitch Kupchak says, we feel like if Rozier was in the draft this year, he would have been a lottery pick. Brian, is he talking about the 25-year-old Terry Rozier, or is he talking about the guy out of Louisville? Yeah, that, that one was – I'll say this in general about the, the, the way these quotes, these quotes were sort of like disseminated from this conference call. I just would have loved to have had access to the actual audio because I'd be – I'd be curious to know with a little more context, either a preface or some sort of clarification, what exactly he meant by this and uh, some of the other lines. So I don't want, I'm not like trying to give him Mitch Kupchak the benefit of the doubt here. These, these just lines are like a little ambiguous. Um, you know, look, there's no such thing as a 25 year old lottery pick. So it, it's sort of tough to envision, uh, you know, Rozier with his current abilities, again, as a, a guy in his mid twenties coming out now, versus, you know, it just if he were 25 years, 25 years old and coming out of college basketball in the NBA now, he would not go in the lottery, you know, <laughs> like he they don't take guys that are that old. And I wasn't sure if he was referring to Terry Rozier as the prospect back in 2015. Like if that player would have gone in the lottery, you know, Rozier was a 16th pick that season. And obviously it should be noted too, of course, that the salary of a lottery pick is a fraction of what of what Rozier is exactly. going to make is what Rozier is going to make in this contract. And look, point guards are expensive. This is something Kubchik referred to. He said, you know, there's a lot of point guards that make between fifteen to thirty whatever million dollars in the league. Granted, most of those point guards that make that much money don't play for one of the five worst teams in the NBA, right? Like context is sort of important there. There's a lot of money that's been thrown around for point guards. We can we can all see that it's fairly obvious. I just think I would have been okay with them going with a cheaper option at the point guard position as opposed to uh-huh. Rozier in this sign-and-trade. And I, I sort of harken back to uh, Memphis agreeing to an offer sheet with Tyus Jones for basically right at the full mid-level or, or very close to it perhaps with some bonuses tied into it. So I, I just, I see that point guard is an expensive position, but not for teams that are in a development stage. Do you know what I mean? Like you're spending money, like you're, like you're, like you're trying to add a point guard that's going to put you over the top. And, uh, and, and so that's sort of where one of the places where I, where more of my eyebrows are raised with uh, the quotes and how, you know, ways in which, the front office was sort of trying to justify what they did with Rozier. Right. And, and I guess my other thing too, is it's like, it almost feels, and I, 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 I don't know this to be, to be true, but clearly they wanted something in return for Kemba and hence the urgency for them to work the sign and trade with Celtic, with, with the Boston Celtics to get Terry Rozier. And we went over in our last podcast, the pros and cons of, of this move. And you can go back and listen to that. But like part of me worries they almost did it for this exact reason so that when they were asked about Kemba leaving for nothing, 
they could turn to and say like, no, 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 we got this guy that was good in the playoffs two years ago. And I don't know if that's the case that that's perhaps me reading into things a little too much, but man, that's what that, and based off just the tone of a lot of the other quotes, that's kind of what it, it feels like, like this was a little bit, um, trying to prove the fans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Did you have any thoughts on that? Or I well, know, I know a lot of people freaked out about the rebuilding comments and, and I have some thoughts on that as well. Although I didn't, I'm not, I don't want to quite freak out about them the way that perhaps some of the, the paranoia spread to um, branches of the fan base on uh, over the weekend. Yeah. That, that quote out of all of them was probably, I guess, if you were to say the most concerning, that was the most concerning one to me. The one about Terry Rozier being a lottery pick. I'm just straight up confused. Yeah, as it doesn't make any was, sense. What is he trying to sell there? Okay. Okay. Yeah. He's a, he's someone who's more polished, a 25 year old. Sure. Yeah. He'd go in the lottery, but yeah. also you're paying him $58 million over the course of three years. That one I was just confused by, but the one where he says, I still think it's a little early to say, Rebuild. I guess we can't use the R word here, Brian. <laughs> We're not going to be in rebuilding mode. I, I think a lot of these quotes and definitely the move for Terry Rozier is like you were just saying. It's damage control. They were trying to appease the fans and saying, hey, we lost Kemba, but technically we didn't lose him for nothing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were saying, you know, throughout the course of these past two seasons, if you're not going to offer this guy something competitive that's going to make him want to stay, then you better go ahead and trade him. And they never did that, and it was their full intentions on keeping Kimba uh, for this upcoming season. But they offered him something so, I guess, lowball. I, I say lowball, but it, it definitely probably scared him away, and he saw a better opportunity and went with Boston. Yeah, that's what these quotes feel like. And I think the the rebuild, the R word, that's something that they should be embracing. And I know they're not going to come out and say, hey, we're, we're tearing it down. We're rebuilding. We're building it from the bottom up because, you know, they have tickets to sell. They, right. they don't want it. They don't want fans to think yeah. that this is going to be that situation all over again where the team won seven games. So to me, that was the most concerning quote. I don't know if he actually believes it or if he's just trying to appease the fans a little bit. So definitely didn't make me yeah. feel good with that quote. Yeah, I, and I think part of that too, I guess my thing is specific to the rebuild line or lack of a line or whatever. And and this is what I tried to get across when I tweeted something out Sunday morning. But it's like, I, I guess my thing is this, is that, yes, you, Mitch Kupchak is not going to come out and say like, yeah, we're going to try to lose and get the number one pick. I get that, okay? And perhaps he doesn't even owe it to the public, both the people that – cover this team that cover the NBA the fans, the, the, the businesses that partner with the Hornets, like all of these stakeholders and shareholders in the organization. I, I get that. I get that. And perhaps he doesn't have the need. It's not, he doesn't owe anything to us to address that. You know what I mean? But it would be nice if he could come out and just at least say, Hey man, we got some good young players. Like we like PJ Washington. We like miles bridges. You know, we, we like Terry Rozier, who we just added, and, and he did. He spoke highly about Rozier. But, like, you know what? We're going to try to play. We're going to try to We're gonna build culture. We're going to play our style of basketball we want to play. And, and we're opening by the end of this season like we're a competitive team. It also would have been nice. And, again, maybe this is something that he doesn't have to address. But just to, it would be nice for him to acknowledge and say, like, look, hey, man, whether, whether he uses the rebuilding word or not, but just say, like, look, we're going to be thrifty. And we're going to be smart and we're going to look to like, we're going to look for advantage and inefficiencies on the, on the margins. And we're going to try to take advantage of that. And we're going to be smart going forward. And we're going to build this thing like, yeah, it hurts losing Kemba, but we're going to build this thing into something special and we're going to do it 
by drafting well and thinking outside the box and being clever and thinking long term. And it just can they say that though after signing Rozier to that fifty eight million dollar contract? The, I mean, what, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, in a, in a way. I mean, like there's still plenty of money. There's money coming off the books next right. next summer and the and the one after that. And you know, Rozier becomes expiring soon enough. And like. Yes, they will have the ability to, at some point in the future, become a salary dumping ground. And you know, Marvin offers perhaps some value as a trade chip. I mean, we'll you know that remains to be seen, but we'll, we'll check that out at some point this year. But yeah, like they have all their draft picks, and and they need to be emphasizing long term player development, draft moves we're making on the margins, as opposed to being like, I mean, I don't know, like talk to me in like four weeks from now and see if like I think we should be rebuilding or not, you know. And then the one other thing I should say, and, and I'm finding this to be actually that this this to me I found to be like a little disingenuous. I found this to be fairly disingenuous and um, a little off putting too. But like when when it's brought up to him, and I believe it was Rick Bennell from the the Charlotte Observer brought this up, and he says, you know, it, it was something along the lines of um, he was referring to the the offer that they threw out to Kemba, and Mitch Kupchak says something along the lines of like. Well, yeah, well, we offered more years and, and more money than any other team did, the $170 million over five years. And yes, he is true. Like it, That is an objective truth that Charlotte offered more years only because they could and offered more money only because they could. But it's actually at an annual average lower than what a four-year max with the Celtics or right. any right. other hypothetical team be out there would. And it's just like – how dumb do you think everyone is? Like, how dumb do you like you guys? Like, this isn't even. This is such a lame excuse for what a like a guy like Mitch Kupchak that's been in a basketball executive for you know three or four decades now, and it was just such a lame like. You just you either don't care or you just have so like your regard for everyone else is just so low. And the only reason you even offer that fifth year probably was so you could save face, you know what I mean? And because you knew he was going to say no to the offer regardless. So I found that to be like a little frustrating because it's just it, you're you're really you're you're what you're saying is true. It's certainly not false, but man, it's just it's incredibly disingenuous and you're doing it in a way that makes you think that makes me think that you have little concern for those that cover the team or follow the team, uh, what, what they, what, how they feel and, and what they think about the game of basketball and, you know, specifically how, it, as it relates to the best player in the history of the franchise who you just let essentially walk away for nothing. And I just found, again, I, I want to give Kupchak some slack here because, you know, what, on some of these questions, it's like, what's he supposed to say? And right. without context, some of these things could be extrapolated to look worse than they really are. And I'm trying, like, I'm trying to, to 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 roll with him on that stuff. But like, like you said, with regards to the Rozier lottery comments, this this just ranges from confusing to half-assed. But uh, I just thought it could. He had a full week to prepare for this, and I thought uh, that his comments were overall fairly disappointing. Right. And I, I will say this, I'm not going to defend him by any means or defend the organization by any means, because we've been, you know, on this case for, you know, one and a half years about trading Kemba and not yeah. getting to this point that we're at right now. But I will say that it's 
every time I log on to Twitter, there's a lot of negativity that's going on with this Hornets fan base. They see something that somebody says, and they just assume the worst. Like, for example, when we found out that in the sign-in trade that we were going to be giving up a second-round pick to Boston, like, people were going up in arms about this. Like, oh, my gosh, we're going to lose that Cleveland pick. You know, Mm -hmm. Cleveland, obviously, is going to be one of the worst teams, if not the worst team next year, along with us. And many thought it was going to be that pick, and, and, and it wasn't. You know, Boston did us a favor for allowing us to get Rozier on our team because my personal thoughts, I don't know if he would have gone for the MLE. Maybe maybe, maybe that's what he was worth, yeah. but clearly what he got was not MLE money. And it sometimes just feels like all these fans are getting overly negative, and it, it, it's, it's not the Cleveland pick. It, it's, the, it's the Knicks or the Nets pick, whatever's – the lesser of the two that we're giving out to Boston. So there was no way for us to acquire Rozier without the help of Boston. They, they aided us in getting him. And this also reminds me of, I won't name names, but you can look at my Twitter and kind of figure this out. But when the sign and trade originally went down, people were mocking the Hornets because now that they were hard capped, first off, them being hard capped now is irrelevant. Yeah. They were never going to exceed the luxury tax and the hard cap means you can't exceed the apron, which is above the luxury tax. So they still have the option to fill out the roster with the MLE and they can still come underneath the tax. We are more than 9.2 million under the tax right now. So Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of negativity, Brian. Like, do you feel that same sense on Twitter? Yeah. And and I, I I totally do. I mean, it's hard not to. And, and I think, I think everyone's sort of picking up on it. I mean, they, even amongst national columnists and stuff that, you know, the Hornets are being critiqued or flat out mocked. And, and I feel like that's feeding into the, the frustration uh, that that's sort of like pulsating through the fan base right now. Um, and, I, and you know what, man, like I get it. Like this is, we're, this is a franchise that on the whole has been pretty frustrating uh, in terms of personnel and, and, and how they've built out a roster and, and how they've used cap space over the years or how they've exchanged draft picks flippantly at times. And, and I, I get all of that. Like I, I, I can understand why there are people that are frustrated and I'm not trying to spin in any other way. Like the, the, the organization has made some mistakes. I, I guess my thing would be that going forward, they have a chance to at least start from scratch over and do it again. But, but, but I can understand the the frustration because teams have because because like fans have been burnt and and I can see why there is this immediate uh, need to sort of like react and, and judge harshly. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not I'm not I am not for a second saying give the organization any sort of like benefit of the doubt. I'm just trying to be a little realistic here. And I think I think both sides of this equation, I think the organization could do a better job, A, putting together a roster and also being more transparent with the fan base. And at, at times, now, look, the fan base is not going to be happy now in general because they just saw their favorite player walk out the door for a replacement level overpay in Terry Rozier. And it's so like, again, I, I, I get that as the genesis of the frustration. But yeah, it just makes it like a little tough to sort of get on and and and, and want to like follow the team and like at least consider some of the positive aspects that the, the organization has going forward, which is some some okay, some decent young players, and um, you know all of its all of its draft picks going forward here. So uh, it'll be this is going to be a difficult summer 
and next season's going to be brutal. And I'm sure it's not going to get any easier for a lot of people. And I'm sure folks will just have to get numb to it to an extent. But um, there are opportunities to to go about building this team in a more clear and coherent fashion. And hopefully the organization capitalizes on those. Hopefully. And I think by that quote, by the rebuilding quote that I keep coming back to, it, it doesn't seem like that that's their mindset. And yeah. I think that's that's why what concerns me the most is the fact that we're in this position today because we gave out contracts and overpaid players and we're not thinking this thing long term. And if they don't want to rebuild because they want to appease the fans, the ticket sales and just give out these contracts just to make sure that we have these brand name players on the court, they can do that. But the product's going to suffer in the long run. And that's why we are where we are today. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. That's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. No matter what you're selling, Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. ShipStation helps you get your orders out quickly, save money on shipping costs, and keep your customers happy. And right now, BuzzBeat listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use promo code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk and you can start your free trial without even entering your credit card information. ShipStation works with all the major carriers including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solutions for you and your customer. No wonder ShipStation is number one for online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BLUE. That's ShipStation.com, then enter code BLUE. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. Okay, so let's talk about Summer League play, and again... We, we know this. We're going to take it with a grain of salt. Uh, but before we get to the actual on-court performances of some of these youngsters, uh, I do want to get your initial thoughts on this. So for most players after their second year, you know, normally th- third-year players are not expected to play. They don't have to play. But you will see players that are going into their fourth year, sometimes going into their fifth year. It just depends on the situation. There's no one set way to do this. But again, if you have established yourself as someone that's seeing a lot of minutes, you probably won't see a lot of summer league time or even be on the roster. So the person I want to talk about first is Malik Monk. He is not playing in summer league. And like I said, normally third year players may not play. Uh, But I think the situation with Malik Monk here, I believe if, if, if my memory is correct, he's only played in one game in summer league. I think his rookie season, he missed it completely. And then last year, I think he only played in one game and I think he got maybe injured in that game. But regardless, this guy has not had a lot of playing time in his NBA career, very sporadic. And then in summer league, again, not a lot of playing time. And does this bother you at all, BG, that he is not playing um, it maybe maybe the team came to him and said, "Hey, we would like for you to be on this roster to get some run to play with some of the teammates that you're going to be playing with uh, as the season progresses." Or does it not make much of a difference to you that this guy's not on the court? I mean, I think it would have been nice to have had him Malik play in this as the organization is transitioning and 
you know, this would have given not only would it is it just like, oh, it's you know, it's some reps that you can go out and get and play against, you know, other NBA level competition or close to NBA level competition. But as we just said, the franchise, whether they like it or not, they're gonna have to be at least one foot in the door on a rebuild effort, hopefully two, but at least one. And I know BJ Washington's hurt, so he's not playing in this, but other guys that are going to be a part of this team's core. Uh, not just like the outside the rotation, but big parts of the core. They're playing in it. And I just thought, it, yeah, it would have been a good idea to develop a little more chemistry, get a little more reps. Like it's an opportunity, you know what I mean, to play more with Bridges and, and Dwayne Bacon and Devontae Graham or you know whomever. So I think that would have been a good thing based off how his career has sort of – you know the highs and lows of Malik Monk and the way perhaps he's it's even sort of like to to an extent stagnated here uh, with with Malik and his his development as he found himself on the exterior of the rotation. That yeah, I guess my thought would have been that uh, as the as a page turns to a new season that he'd be looking to to jump in on this. But like I'm not I'm not frustrated. I'm not annoyed. It, it's not anything like that. He he can do he can spend his summers however he wants. He doesn't have to be there. I do think if he weren't playing, again, this is this is sort of a small request. And look, guys can do whatever the hell they want in the offseason. It's their free time. But you see star players from other teams that are in Vegas, you know? Um, you you see you can even see LeBron James, you can see you know Anthony Davis there, you can see Donovan Mitchell there for with the Utah Jazz. I love how you're putting Malik Monk in this category of these players. No, I'm just I'm just thinking. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I went to the. I'm doing that specifically because like I'm thinking of like the veterans that are there. I could say Jaron right. Jackson Jr. is there for Memphis too, you know. Um, right. And he's not. I mean, he's not playing, and he's a second year guy, but he's still there because the Grizzlies right. have like a youth movement going forward, and, and he, I, either the team asked him to be out there or he took it upon himself and felt the necessity to be out there. I'm not totally sure. And look, maybe Malik will, will, will venture out there at some point and be around the team. But uh, yeah, like it, it ultimately, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but I just think it would have been an opportunity. And I go back to this, like I heard Steve Clifford say this on either Zach Lowe's podcast or Woj's podcast after he got let go a year ago. And, and Zach Lowe even brought it up again recently. And it was when Steve Clifford took over in 2013 this is going into Kemba Walker's third year in uh, in the NBA. And Kemba went out to Summer League with the Hornets. And he didn't play in any games, but he went through all the drills. He did the practices. He was grinding with the team. And here you have Malik Monk. It's This isn't apples to apples, right? They're, these are two totally different players, different scenarios, et cetera. But you here you have Malik Monk ent- entering his third year. And um, – yeah, like I think it would have been, it just would have been a good opportunity for him to get out there and, and be around this team, this young core that he is, at least for the time being, a, a part of. Yeah, to me, it just doesn't look good. I'm not sure what the conversations that were had between him and the the coaches, the organization, whether or not they wanted him on this roster or not. Uh, but to me, if he was asked and he decided against it, to me, it's not a good look. And like you said, Brian, at least he could be around the team. And this, to me, this is the year that. I would think that you would want to play in summer league for a third year player on this team where there's a lot of turnover. Tony Parker has retired. Kimball Walker is gone. He is probably or has the opportunity to get more playing time, more consistent playing time this year. If he puts in the work and to me, it just doesn't look good on his end. I think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, maybe he might not 
benefit from playing. I think a lot of his you know, negatives, his downsides on the court, like his turnovers and his bad shot selection are not going to be fixed within a handful of games at yeah, Summer League. Yeah. But just playing just playing with these players like Bridges and Bacon and Devontae Graham and, and uh, Martin, for example, he could be playing with these guys consistent minutes together and just having that extra synergy as early as possible within the summer can only be an added bonus. So mm-hmm. that's just kind of how I view it. I don't think it's a good look for him. But again, he might not have been asked to be on this roster or whatever, what have you. I mean, he could still be working out on his own. That's fine. But it's something about being around the team and, and playing with the players that are going to be playing with you in October. To me, that says a lot. And then another player that's not playing, Brian, is P.J. Washington. He's been ruled out for Summer League with a foot injury. Uh, this kind of came upon us real late in the game, last second. I did not realize he wasn't going to play. I'm, I'm kind of surprised or shocked that this came about a little bit later. Like, was their plan to play him? And then eventually they realized, okay, maybe we should just kind of rest him because of this foot injury. Or did they know all along that this foot injury was going to keep him out? And maybe they tried to see if they could play him. I'm not really sure. So it's a little bit of a bummer that we don't get to see our uh, rookie play and see how we can play alongside some of these other youngsters. Do you have any thoughts on that? Or should we just get straight into the the game? Yeah, just, you know, again, it is a little concerning um, because he did have a a foot sprain that cost him some time at the end of his sophomore season. And, this is, I believe, the same foot. And so, yeah, obviously, like, that's a red flag. Um, again, I don't think missing Summer League is the end of the world. And he's out there, right? Like, he's still around the team. And so I think there's there's value to be gained from doing even just that. But, yeah, like, it's a little bit it's a little bit concerning. Obviously, you'd rather see him play than, than not play, even though these games are, in effect, meaningless, at least from a, right. you know, a wins-loss perspective. But yeah, like it, it is a little concerning because, you know, I, A, this team just needs players in the pipeline, young, good, young, cheap players in the pipeline. They need them to be healthy. They need them to play. Um, you know, Washington's a guy that matters in November this year, and he probably matters to this team in November of 2021, too. You know, like if all goes according to plan. And, and one of the reasons Washington appealed to me was because he felt like a safer pick late in the lottery, like a good pick, solid pick, less risky. And now all of a sudden you're like, you're staring down the, even if it's minute, you're sort of staring down possibility of a, of a foot injury being something that costs invaluable time as a rookie. When, when this team is losing 60 games next season or whatever, <laughs> like you need, you need BJ Washington out there gaining experience and, and getting reps. Um, so again, if it costs him just time in summer league, that's all good. Obviously, it's more important that long term he be healthy. So uh, I trust the Hornets are just right. taking the necessary precautions. But yeah, it is. It's a little bit of a bummer though, too. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things, you want this guy healthy come the start of the season. So if that means holding him out of summer league for that to happen, I think that's the right direction to go. It's just I think a lot of fans wanted to see the rookie play and and see how we would mix it up with uh, Miles Bridges because a lot of people are talking about. Those two being interchangeable on the offensive and defensive side. So uh, let's get into the games. We're not going to break down each individual game, but just more talk about uh, some of the evaluations that we have on these players. And again, we're going to take it with a grain of salt because it is summer league. The Hornets have played two games up until this point. Like I said, they will play China tonight. They beat the Warriors 93-85, and then they lost to the Spurs 96-106. Uh, the first player that I'm going to talk about, Brian, uh, is Dwayne Bacon. I think that his role on this team clearly is going to be upped, and he's going to be someone that we're going to rely on a lot this year. They're going to put the ball in his hands a lot, and 
you even saw him taking the ball up the court plenty of times, mm-hmm. whether that's off a rebound or just you know off an inbounds play. They, they put the ball in his hands. He took the ball up the court. He is one of the few guys, I, I said this on previous episodes, outside of Lamb and Kimball Walker from last year, both you know, are gone, clearly. Mm-hmm. So now Dwayne Bacon steps up as this guy that can go and make a basket, whether it's you know taking it all the way to the rim, pulling up for mid-range, or pulling up from three. He has that in his game. And you saw him coming off a lot of screens as well. They'll place him at the high post. They'll place him in the corner, dribble handoffs. He'll receive that pass and then just weave his way to the basket. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of what I saw from Bacon in these two games. Very aggressive, very assertive. I think he played better in his first game against Golden State. And I think the only downside that I'm seeing with Bacon so far, and, and I think this is kind of not, not a misconception. I don't know. I, I don't think he's necessarily the best defender. Mm-hmm. I think he gets credit for being a better defender than he actually is. There are times when he does really well on ball, but there's also times where he gets beat off the dribble. So any thoughts on Bacon or any other players that you want to bring up for uh, this summer league so far? Just initially or off the back, I'll just start off. I don't think like the basketball society as a whole does like a great job like how, determining how to value wing defenders, right? Like we just, you just, you people just love to spout off and say this guy's a good wing defender, even if like you, they don't quite exactly know. Like your people are saying that and they're not even exactly sure what they're saying. And I feel like I find that to be just like a kind of a hilarious thing that pops up in a variety of different circles. Um, I think Bacon's look pretty good, man. Like I think the first step has looked good. He's been ex- extremely aggressive going downhill, really likes going to that right hand. Um, but I, but I thought again, like you said, he's used a lot of screens, but I think even his first step, he's not, you know, this guy's not super twitchy or, or, or even like that explosive, but he likes to get downhill and, and drive and, and you can really see why he has some, uh, he was productive attacking on spot ups off the dribble this season. Like he, I believe he was over 1.2 points per possession last season. And it feels like he's brought with him some of his confidence, Perhaps some of it a little misplaced as he got into it with Keldon Johnson against San Antonio. But uh, it's been nice to see his aggression carry over from the end of the end of last season in which in a small sample he played pretty well at the end. And, but it looks like he's brought that, that verve and that aggression to Summer League. And I think that's been, that's been nice. In that first game against Golden State, he took uh, nine three-pointers, made three of them, four shots from the mid-range, and then everything else at the rim. Um, he was, he was, uh, three of seven at the rim, uh, even had a couple nice passes I thought as well too. So yeah, I thought in the Hornets with bacon on the court against golden state were plus 14 in that game. Uh, so yeah, I thought bacon was good. He was aggressive. Again, he's a guy that's going to have a lot of offense run for him this year. It's probably not going to be that efficient overall, (laughs) but I think he's going to have some good gains and some good moments. And, um, for a guy like bacon, that's heading into, you know what will be the final year of his rookie contract. I think he can make himself some uh, some nice money, and, and I think he has the ability to further establish himself as. You know, we'll see if if, if if this guy can can do this sort of Jeremy Lamb leap into becoming a starting wing. You know what I mean? Or is this him over the next year? Does he play himself into being a guy that can be, you know, like somewhat of a, a two way two way player, but a little bit more of a, not quite a microwave score, but like a, but like a scorer off the bench, you know what I mean? Like being a, a top three or four wing on a roster. And I think bacon will earn his keep one way or the other over the next, uh, next 12 months here. 
what's funny, we were talking about Bacon, I don't know how long ago, but we, we all had concerns with him at one point. I cannot remember what episode it was, obviously, but like we were we were asking that same question. Is he going to be a bench guy? It, could he be a six man? Yeah. Could he be someone in a starter role? Yeah. And some of it, I think, you know, you, myself, and, and Spencer all had these doubts about him, but something about last season where he just took off, and um, I know it was limited play and, you know, the small sample size, but he definitely put on a show taking the ball to the rim, uh, shot the ball very well from behind the arc. But like you said, now that he's going to see more court time, the volume's going to go up. I'm sure the efficiency yeah. will inevitably go yeah. down, but we're hoping that he can kind of, uh, you know, find find it somewhere in between. And I guess that leads us to our next player with Bridges, I think Brago came out and said, or Kupchak came out and said that they're going to try to play him more at the four this season, mm-hmm. maybe even start him at the four. I'm not really sure what that means for Marvin's future, but to me, I still think, you know, I know that we, we're, not, we're not playing with Terry Rozier. I still think that he's also going to have the ball in his hands a whole lot clearly. more this season. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, clearly. But, uh, you know, even if he's playing the four or the three, I think where he excels the most is technically off ball. Like you put him in the corner, he's a good corner three ball shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does a good job of attacking the basket. If he has a straight line, he can get there. I still think he needs to tighten his handle a little bit. Very but he has shown so. some. He's shown some ability with some dribble moves. He had that in and out versus uh, San Antonio. But he has been assertive in, in getting to the mm-hmm. rim, finishing with both hands. I still don't know if he's right handed or not. Like I feel like he finishes most everything around the rim with his right and even that dunk that he had against san antonio it was with his right hand so and he also had like a string of threes in that like first or second quarter against san antonio so he did better in the second game versus bacon who did better in the first game so what are your thoughts on bridges yeah i thought so in game one i thought bridges was okay against golden state um you know he, he, he looked hesitant he missed all three of his threes and he looked hesitant he had four turnovers one of those was on a pass that Isaiah Hicks probably could have snagged, you know what I mean, and, and, and finished, but, but Bridges put a little too much, too much mustard on it. Another one was he got the ball from above the break, and he should have just, just caught and shot the ball, but clearly it was like a little hesitant and tried to put the ball on the deck and ended up turning it over. But 6 of 11 shooting in that game, all six of his shots, I mean, most of them, they weren't right at the rim. They were, they were somewhere else, and they were all in the paint, that's for sure. Uh, so he did you know good job getting to the hoop uh, and, and scoring with some efficiency against Golden State. But I thought um, against San Antonio, I thought he was clearly the best player on the court of both teams. And he has to be. Like in a game like that where he's a second-year player, he's a returning lottery pick, um, you know, San Antonio's not throwing all their best guys out there. You know, he's got to dominate that game. And, and I thought he did to, you know, to an extent. Hornets scored uh, 1.08 points per possession in 30 minutes with Bridges on the court. Uh, he, he said he got loose for a couple three balls, which was which was like really nice to see. He And, and back to those three balls real quick. If he's going to be in the full, I mean, I'm sure you can do this with the three as well. But like the pick and pop, he's got to get better at the above the break threes as well. Last year, he shot what, like? 31%, 31% from above the break. He was 38 from the corners. But yeah, like he's so good at at attacking into space, either off pops or flares or short rolls or those like fake DHO plays. Like he's so good. Or or, you know, he's good now. I don't I don't want to overemphasize how good he is, but he's gifted at it, right? Even though he makes mistakes with the handles and stuff like that. But like He's strong and athletic. He can post up against smaller guys, which we've seen some of in summer league so far. Uh, certainly against Golden State, and um, but he can be. He's got like a little shift and a little craft, and he can finish with both hands. And obviously, he's 
you know, athletically, he's very gifted. So I like him being aggressive and, and attacking that space off the bounce. And um, it makes it does make you wish you're like I just I wish I could have seen this guy get more reps, you know, more reps playing with Kemba. You know, I think I think those two guys could have been could have grown together as a pick and pop combination or an inverted pick and roll combination or DHO partners doing more of that. I just you know Bridges wasn't quite ready for any of that until really the last month or so of the season last year. Um, and it would have been nice to have seen him play with an advanced pick and roll engine creator like Kemba a little bit more before, you know, now he's going to have a lot of ball handling responsibilities placed on him this season next to guys like Rozier, Devontae Graham, Bacon. It's just, it's just not Nick Batum. It's just not the same. I do think they've, they've done a nice job running some pick and roll for him. They've done this little of inverted four, one pick and roll with uh, miles bridges, handling the ball and Devontae Graham screening for him. I think Bridges on the other end of the court has been very active. Like, I mean, he really gets after it on the defensive glass, and he's had a couple steals um, in, I believe, in both games. Yeah, three steals against uh, San Antonio, three more turnovers, though. So now seven turnovers in two games, which is not great. But uh, back to defense, I still think he spaces out a little bit off ball. Like, I. That's always been an issue. Right? Been, I mean, I feel like that's been an issue since Michigan State. Always been an issue, and and it's something that like you know that's not an issue that PJ Washington has trouble with. Like, go watch some PJ tape, and you'll see just how tentative he is off ball, and how willing of a help defender. And and I, I think that's one of the reasons why he and he and Bridges will pair together as you know Washington as like the assignment guy who's in the right place at the right time, and, and Bridges as the slightly less predictable but uh, more disruptive with his with his athleticism and with his with his effort. And so I think Bridges has played well again. I think he's been the best, was the best player out on the court uh, against San Antonio, which was big and two above the break threes, including one that he hit off, hit up on the hit on a pull up, uh, which is something that he did basically zero last season. I tweeted some numbers out about that earlier today. Um, you know, we can we can pull those up or check some people can check those out on their own, whatever. But I think he only had nine pull up threes all of last season. I believe he hit only five threes after three or more dribbles all of last or two or more dribbles all of last season too. So it's been nice to see him branch out a little bit. And I actually think the form on the jumpers looked even better too. Yeah. And I would think those numbers would have to go up, not just because he's seeing more playing time, but because the ball is going to be in his hands a little bit more. So those pull up numbers have got to improve. He's got to get better at that. He's clearly a much better shooter off the catch. A lot of people are, but it just seems like it's a significant gap there. It's funny. He was mic'd up. And you saw him right. communicating a lot, so I don't know if that was a you know a byproduct of him being mic'd up. But it's it's nice to see that he's communicating out on the defensive end because sometimes that's the biggest factor uh, when it comes to you know defensive breakdowns. I just want to give a rundown of some of the other players and just my quick thoughts on them because really Bacon and Miles Bridges the only two that have really stood out to me significantly. Uh, these other three players, I just want to give a quick thought to uh, Devonte Graham. I think that his you know, his distribution is still really, really good. He has great passes. He had several lobs, I believe, to Hicks on alley oops. I, I just wish he were. I just wish he were faster. That's all. Yeah. Like I, I just think he has to. I, I I'm sorry to interrupt you. Faster on that. with like, like decision making or faster like athletic foot speed, gotcha. athletically yeah. his foot speed. I think his his lack of length and his lack of um like like super high level quickness. Um, I think that gets him into trouble and that's what causes the turnovers and that's what sort of takes away some of, cause he is a good passer, but he has to make some tough reads cause it's just like he, he can't always get penetration or get by his guy. And 
Again, I like Devonte. He's he's yeah. solid, but uh, it's just I feel like that's been apparent again in Vegas this summer. Yeah, I mean he did have a good assist to turnover ratio last year, so he's doing the best with what he can work with. I still think he's shooting great without hesitation, but he's just not converting, and that was an issue of his last year, just not converting that three ball. Uh, Cody Martin has not impressed me all that much. Uh, he's no. not creating a lot of separation off the bounce. If he's going to be our third point guard, I know that he's not going to see a lot of playing time, but. I would just like to see more out of him. He had a lot of turnovers, a lot of forced shots. And then Josh Perkins, on the other hand, he's impressed me a little bit more than Cody Martin. He just seems more comfortable out there. He, he even hit several threes, especially in that San Antonio game. And he had a nice pass to Miles Bridges in the corner for a three. So I just wanted to run down those three players real quick. All the other players really aren't seeing significant enough time for me to give an evaluation on. Kennedy Meeks has had some nice passing. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. McDaniel's, I can't get a feel for him because he just he, he he's not been very good no, in, offensively, in offensively, especially. But um, yeah. So that any other parting thoughts on these players in summer league, or should we wrap? Yeah, hats off to Kennedy Meeks who got him. He's gotten himself in just kick-ass shape compared to where he was, especially early on in college. And uh, yeah, man, I mean that guy can still get on the offensive glass, and he can he can pass out of the post. Like San Antonio threw a double at him, and he immediately threw it to the open guy. Um, so yeah, again, he, 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 I think he spent some time in Toronto's system and it, it looks like some of that is, has paid off for him as well too. But no, I mean, like the only two guys are really focused on are or three guys or four guys are Graham Martin, but especially Bacon and, and Bridges. Right. All right, guys. Thanks again for listening. If you guys are enjoying the content, we'd always appreciate that five-star rating and review. Again, it goes a long way in helping us out. Be sure to reach out to us on Twitter, whether it's our personal accounts at Richie Randall or at Guys underscore bird or the podcast account at BuzzBeatPod. And we'll continue that conversation there. So uh, we will see you guys next time and go Hornets. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.